Welcome back to Camden Cast, your unofficial Baltimore Orioles podcast from CamdenChat.com. I'm your host, Mark Brown. I'm Eat More SK on Camden Chat. It is July the 1st, 2012 in the evening as we are recording this episode. The Orioles, of course, have done two things. One, they've acquired Jim Tomei, and two, they've lost three out of the last four games to the Cleveland Indians, who I will note lost five games in a row before they faced the Orioles I'm joined, as always, by my podcasting partner in crime. He's Andrew Gibson. Andrew, have you got any interesting stories for us from the world of minor league baseball since our since we last met? Hello. Uh, yes. Uh oh. This is a Jim. The Jim. Jim Tomei mashes tapes. Did you know that Philadelphia is home to the Liberty Bell? I just learned that. Literally just learned it on Philadelphia.org using computers. For those who are extremely confused right now, there's a baseball fan website called The Dugout. Is it hairdos? Because high and tight is my only advice. Because The Dugout has this feature they call online chat rooms. And they just make up dumb crap that baseball players might type to one another in online chat rooms. And Jim Tomei is is the number one... Jim jokester on there. Andrew is apparently caught in a feedback loop. He can't stop sounding like Jim Tomei, because the thing is... Jim is coming to the good port of Baltimore. Going to mash some taters. And maybe he'll meet Omar, because he's always wanted to meet Omar, I'm sure. Well, no. I don't think dugout Jim Tomei knows what the wire is. But anyway, the the Jim Tomei in the online chat room feature on the dugout is just kind of a big country doofus and uh, i actually think he types in all caps all the time <laughs> yeah well i can't you know, i'm i do apologize i did not do that that it's it's service that it deserves nobody can can really nobody could. so if you want to jim google jim. the dugout and jim tomei you can read a little of it and uh maybe you'll see why it's funny unfortunately the original is lost to history as far as i can tell it's been like a seven years joke for that website and uh I think I I'm not 100% on this, but I think uh, SB Nation's John Boyce, who's maybe like my third favorite writer ever, is one of the founders of the Dugga or wrote for it or something. I wouldn't be surprised because that's up his alley. It's, yeah, so, it's the same branch. Of so the point of all of this is Jim Tomey, as you know, is now on the Orioles, which my basic reaction is, hey, that's great. I mean, it's cool getting a guy that has 609 career home runs, which is currently tied with uh, lamentably former Oriole Sammy Sosa on the all-time home run list. It's almost poetic. It it, it is Andrew because it makes when when the Sosa thing is just like you look at it and it's like oh well here the Orioles go acquiring another aging slugger in the twilight of his career. Yes, I, I do believe the Orioles just traded for Vladimir Guerrero. Is that? Yeah, it, like it's all of fame. Like, what year is it here? Seriously. No, but Jim Tomei acquired from the Philadelphia Phillies for two minor leaguers. One is Kyle Simon, who was the fourth round draft selection last year. And one was a catcher named Gabriel Lino, who was playing at low A. Delmarva. It's Venezuelan. Yes, he was a Venezuelan free agent Venez- signing. And I would be surprised if uh, 10% of the Oriole fan base had ever heard of these guys. I would agree with you, Andrew, because that's they're pretty deep in the minors. Kyle Simon was playing for Frederick. He was just another guy. He's like a rotation. ground ball guy who miss bats. Right. He was described by... Uh, Kevin Goldstein of Baseball Prospectus as having a plus sinker, mediocre secondaries, and can't miss bats. So it's not like you've given up what sounds like a future number one starter. But I guess the principle is... Well, I mean, what, you can't what, just look at minor leaders that way. What are the Orioles doing getting a guy like Jim Tomey right, right now? The, the problem is we're trying to... The way that I want to look at, not just front office moves, but baseball in general, is to look at the process. Like, okay, Adam Jones having a really, really good year. But why? What's the process that goes into that? That's how my brain works. So Dan Duquette and the Orioles front office, because it's not just one man, they've traded for Jim Tomey. 
why? What was the process there? But that is a huge black box. Like, we can never see into it because none of us work for the Orioles. And any sound clip you're going to hear from Dan Duquette, probably, or anonymous sources inside the warehouse is not going to be satisfying enough. It's not going to be a full answer. And you're always going to wonder, well, that's what they're saying. You know, and it's like it's like Buck Showalter will talk about Wilson Benavides' defense is improving. But, I mean, nobody's buying that. Anybody who's watched Benavides in the field knows, no, it's not improving. But that's, you know, that's what he has that's to say. That's what you say, because right. that's what you have to say. So the reporters are basically dutifully trotting out how the Orioles flagging lineup can now be stabilized with this veteran presence and he's a great character guy and I'm sure I'm sure he is you know but one thing that they've also been talking about and Andrew you and I were talking about this a bit is I don't even think it was a week ago that Jim Hunter was on the Masson broadcasts and if you've listened to Hunter's games this season you know he's said I try not to personally you, you the listeners obviously Andrew you, you try not to listen to him but He's been talking about how, well, it's great that this year the Orioles have flexibility, that they don't have to play one specific guy as the DH, i.e. last year, Vladimir Guerrero, who basically forced Luke Scott into left field and Nolan Reimold into AAA and all kinds of other stuff just because Vladimir had to be both the DH and the cleanup hitter. And, uh, well... I don't think I don't think Jim Hunter's going to say that anymore because now we have Jim Tomei to be the the DH and how quick the uh, it's funny how quick the party line will do a complete 180. Right, the you know East Asia uh, has always been at war. Now we've uh, instead of we have a lot of versatility on the roster. Now it's we've really locked down the DH spot with a certified future Hall of Fame slugging monster going to mash some taters so jim tomei is now going to be the dh and here's the thing jim jam you i'm excited to see him hit some home runs for the orioles mash some taters but the thing about getting jim tomei is jim. now if he's a dh every night you've got mark reynolds wilson betamete and chris davis who are all not the dh and all of them should be the dh and now all of them are going to be like one of the outfield spots and both the corner infield spots or at least two out of three every night, probably. And it's like, and, what? We don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. I've seen it for the last two weeks, and it's terrible. Additionally, uh, Brian Roberts, who has not looked acceptable at second base yet, uh, for what that's worth, um, he's not hitting anything like a DH, but maybe DH is his best position, too. Right, or at least, you know, he might need to have a game a week where he does DH so he's not... Well, like, a game a week, that's fine. But he does not look like anywhere close to a starting second baseman defensively. No, you just see balls that kind of go up the middle, and you feel like five years ago, three years ago, Brian Roberts would have made the dive and gotten on his knees and made the throw, and... You know, he doesn't even dive for him right now. It's like so he it's, get that it's step. three of the four uh, infield positions and one of the outfield positions. And suddenly, like, okay, J.J. Hardy's a legit good, solid plus defender. And Matt Wieters is really good, although now on days he doesn't catch. Him DHing sort of takes away at-bats from Jim Tomey, who's suddenly one of your best hitters, you hope. Uh, and another thing about the hitting thing is is Jim Tomei is left-handed. Wilson Betamete hits best left-handed. Chris Davis, Chris Davis is left-handed. So, again, you've got this kind of duplicate skill set, although I think even at age 41, maybe it's even two, I forget which Jim Tomei is, but even, even at whatever early 40s age Jim Tomei is, Jim Jim. he's got, you know... He's got some level of skill left, we hope, although... He's 41. I would just like to note that against pitchers who don't play for the Orioles, Jim Tomei is something like 9 for 53 this year. Yeah, that was one of my... Because uh... he had six of his hits in his 30 games he's played this year were against the Orioles. One of my pet peeves, I guess, is um, 
I, I don't mean to single out any beat writer or beat writers in general, but it, it, these are the only guys who jump to mind is, is guys who will talk about like Tommy's career numbers in Camden Yards. Well, you know, Andrew, that information was in the press release that the Orioles sent okay. out because they so got them to add to the list. So, it, and I joked about this on Twitter. The, the press release was basically homers, 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 dingers, bombs, jacks, homers, 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 taters, jingers, bombs, homers, and taters, precious. And seriously, it and it said it in the press release in 67 career games at Oriole Park. Tomei has hit 18 home runs, won every 13.6 at-bats, scored 45 runs, and driven in 45 runs. Tomei has hit two of the 65 home runs to land on Utah Street. Well, who was he pitching against? The or- or hitting against the Orioles pitchers who've been yeah. terrible for the exactly. last, exactly. you know, 15 years. You might as well say, like, what were Jim Tomei's numbers against Jimmy Haynes back in the 90s? That's as reasonable a thing to say as his numbers in Camden Yards. So it's just, it's, it's, it's kind it's of absurd data. how just some of these things they try and and put in there. So okay, I'm I'm All hitting right. pause on our event session about Jim Tomey. You do seem a little angry because you're full of that indignation. I want to I do want to talk about one bit of positive news that we got today. Uh, today, although it will be. Monday, as you're listening to this, uh, on so on Sunday, I should say, the All-Star rosters were unveiled for both the American League and the National League. And as we speculated about in our last podcast, how many Orioles we would get, uh, it. It, it turns out we, we came pretty close uh, because yeah. the Orioles have three All-Stars, as you probably are aware. All selected as reserves were Adam Jones, Matt Wieters, and Jim Johnson. And all of those, I all think, very all deserve to be all-stars. They're all definitely among the top uh, echelon in the American League. And in addition, Jason Hamill is present on the fans' final vote, sponsored by Firestone or something like that. Uh, so he's up against four other guys who are, I believe, Hugh Darvish, Jonathan Broxton, Ernesto Frieri of the Angels. I hope he's on the Angels. And... Who's the last guy? Jake Peavy of the White Sox. Now, I don't know about you, but and I, I really like what Jason Hamill's done, but I have to vote for Jonathan Broxton. Why would you vote for Broxton? I'm, <laughs> I'm just curious what your rationale is. No, that would be a terrible decision. Oh, you can't you can't mess with me like that, Andrew. Seriously, you could get, every you single get, time I've watched the. You could Royals. get me with that every episode from here on until forever, Andrew. You could... Every time I've watched the Royals and Jonathan Braxton's come out, there's just this overwhelming like rush of, oh my god, he's going to blow this game. He's terrible. And he's a much better pitcher than I am and deserves all kinds of respect. Andrew, he is twice the pitcher you are. He's twice the man I am. I mean that very, in every very, way. Very, very literally. Very, very, very much. Um, but... I I don't get like Jim Johnson. He comes out. Oh man, this game's over. You know, Mariano Rivera comes out. This game's over. I understand. Jonathan Broxton comes out. This team's got a chance to lose this game. You know, yeah. it's not it's not relaxing. Well, I so. think that you Darvish will win. I do. So. Uh, although I will actually and bother to vote for Jason Hamill. If I did vote, and I will almost certainly abstain because voting's stupid. Voting's for suckers, kids. Um. I would, I would uh, vote for Hamill, but Darvish is really the guy that I want to see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a spectacle. The baseball but... All-Star Game is an exhibition, and it is a spectacle. You're exactly right, Andrew. I think if I was not an Orioles homer, you Darvish is absolutely the guy I would like to see, just because there were so many headlines about him in the offseason. It was such a big deal that he signed with Texas. Mm-hmm. I would want to see him throw an inning. And, you know... These are the guys you don't really watch unless they play your team. And these are the guys you want to see. Like, I, my favorite all-star memory, and I think for my entire life it'll be my favorite all-star memory, was when Randy Johnson pitched against John Cruck in, I don't even know what year. Yeah, the early that's, 90s. Really, that's a good one. And the first pitch, just way over his head, and the rest, John Cruck stood in, like, the way back at the batter's box, and he just flailed pathetically at the until he struck out because he wanted no part of that after that first pitch over his head it's, it's the best all-star memory i'm ever gonna have uh, and i mean those are the guys i want to see you know 
And now, can I do mine? Go ahead. Because I, I will not get to podcast before the All-Star game, so this seems like a good time to, to do it. Um, mine actually involves a player that I am sure is on exactly zero people's favorite player list. Kaurikin's uh, last All-Star game, when uh, he was at third and Alex Rodriguez was the starting shortstop, and A-Rod switched with Cal, and, and Cal got to play short uh, one last time in the spotlight. That was a, uh, you know, with A-Rod, I'm not going to defend A-Rod, and he, you know, he's a Yankee. Um, but that was that was as cool a thing that could happen as I can imagine, I think. He's a Yankee and a douchebag, but he has his human moments, and that was definitely <laughs> a nice gesture that's to me. want to play it, but... I, I give him a, a ton of credit because that was as classy a thing as, as you can do. And that's a guy who, I mean, you know, he could probably use a few more classy moments in his in his repertoire. Yeah, for sure. But <laughs> he's not kissing himself. So vote for Jason Hamill if you want or vote for whoever your, your conscience uh, dictates. Or don't vote if your conscience yeah, dictates Roxy, that. Because really voting for the All-Star game is kind of a silly enterprise, but... So none of the Orioles won the voting, which I didn't expect them to, but three got in as reserves. And, I thought uh, Adam Jones could get in there. I mean, he is a superstar, as, as weird as that is to, to think about, because we've watched him grow up. He totally deserves to start the All-Star game. Right. Considering it was you know four months ago, I was saying, well, Adam Jones has never even had an OPS over 800, and now here, superstar. Wow. Well, but he... Uh, he was not a starter. The starters in the outfield for the American League are Josh Hamilton, Curtis Granderson, Jose Bautista, and well, and those are all great players. Yeah, they are all as well as Adam Jones is is hitting, for instance. I believe all those guys are hitting better than him so far this year. So you can't can't complain. And we got three All Stars. We got some respect. Mm-hmm. All I ever really want is just just a shred of respect. The Orioles have actually been decent so far this year. Just a little respect. Don't have her just now, our token one all-star. And, all and right, indeed, so we have three, perhaps four. Here's my question for you. Would you rather, in the all-star game, and are you going to watch the all-star game? I'm sure I will, because, I mean, it's not like there's any other sporting event on July the 10th That's in true. the evening that is uh, it's going to be more pressing. Um, would you rather see Jim Johnson record the save in the all-star game, or would you rather see... Adam Jones hit the eventual game-winning home run in, like, the sixth inning. Well, let's say Adam Jones hit a grand slam, so there would not or, be a save no, situation. I'll give, you, I'll give you a third option. Uh-oh. Would you rather see uh, Matt Wieters catch and then get to stonewall some base runner from the junior circuit? Uh, and that, that's a that's a joke about the National League. It's not as good as the American League. You could have just as easily said from the quadruple A. Yeah, from, you know, quadruple A, like the Dodgers or, or whatever, the Mets, you know. Um, would you rather see, like, Matt Wieters just completely just put up the, the brick wall to some base runner that would have been maybe the tying run or, or so in, in, like, the seventh inning or so? Which, which of those three scenarios would you rather see in the All-Star game? Well, I would rather see Adam Jones hit the home run, and I will tell you why. Because Matt Wieters involved in a play at the plate in an exhibition game, I just don't want to deal with it. Zero percent. No. And okay. that's that's totally fair. Uh, and Jim Johnson getting the save, I would actually not mind if Jim Johnson just had an easy inning and uh, then got to rest. Because, well, we're going to need him in the second half. We, the Orioles, Orioles fans, will need him to do well for the Orioles in the second half. Because, as we can see... Well, need is kind of a, a big liquid term. Andrew, give me one, just one time. Come on. I'm just need. I mean, what if if he doesn't pitch well in the second half? Oh no, the Orioles aren't going to make the playoffs. <laughs> it's better for the Orioles if Jim Johnson does not get that extra little bit of workload. As I seem to recall, several that's years true. ago that, when uh, when George oh. Sherrill was like the multi-inning. Ah, uh, this that's. That's narrative, Mark. I know. I know. I'm I'm having a bad few minutes here in your eyes, Andrew. I'm sorry. I hope I can. Do you remember? Do you remember uh, what I consider to be the 
most George Sherrill game during his Orioles tenure. Can you guess which game I'm thinking of? Well, it was probably the one where they made the the, the commercial about where he walked the bases loaded and struck out the oh, side. And what was, it. was it against the Cubs, was it maybe? It's a, that's exactly right. You did it. That's that's 100% accurate. I mean, that's just that's the pitcher he was. That's not sustainable. Well, I put a ton of base runners on, but I never give up any runs. And well, worth noting, George Sherrill traded for Josh Bell and Steve Johnson, and Steve Johnson was called up to the Orioles. Well, he will be officially called up tomorrow, but the, the reporters announced tonight, Sunday night, that he would be called up to be in the bullpen for the Seattle series that is upcoming. So I had not seen that. That is news to me. Because Brian Maddox, of course, was like instantly demoted after today's uh-huh. game. It was it was within 30 minutes they had the press release out and everything. Which is probably because the Orioles were about to get on the plane to the West Coast, so they needed to make sure, you know, Mattis was um, going south instead of going west. But I just found it interesting how, uh, how quick they were, because usually you know, they wait to announce all the roster moves, but they were like, no, no corresponding move has been announced yet. Mattis, he's out. Gone to Norfolk, which is probably what he should be doing right now, because... Uh, Really, he looks lost out there. Yeah, yeah. So, so there was our little our little positive um, segment with the All Star situation because it's very cool that the Orioles have multiple All Stars. More All Stars than the Boston Red Sox. Three times as many All Stars as the Boston Red Sox. The only Red Sox to make it into the game is David Ortiz, and the Orioles have three, possibly even four. That's weird. That's pretty cool. Yep. But, that is cool. but the thing is, Andrew and I are not in a good mood about the Orioles tonight. Mostly because the Orioles haven't been a good in a good mood towards us for the last two weeks. And yeah, they get what they put in. It's basically well, what I mean, two podcasts ago or whenever we talked about, well, it's good to be wrong. And unfortunately, Andrew and I were starting to see the Orioles that we kind of expected to see all along, and you know, we're starting every to year, not be wrong anymore. They do just I, enough to make me think. And then pull the carpet back out. Well, this is the most they have they've given us to make us think in in several years. But I mean, I, I, no, I, actually, it, it's weird. I wrote about this on the site the day the last, uh, I guess it was four days ago, five days ago. They were nine games over 500. They were at exactly a even runs allowed, runs scored that day. In 2005, that exact day, they were nine games over 500. They would lose the next couple of games. They would never see nine games over 500 again. And it was that was it. That was the crest, and they were falling back down. Were they, and, were they also at zero runs differential? No, they were. They were several several runs above uh, the the 500 run differential. Oh, but and Andrew, but, we got some. That's some freaky symmetry. I'm not. Yeah, isn't it? It's like. You know, we keep talking about, oh, it's the first time since 2005. Oh, it's the first time since 2005. So what is that? Was that? Uh, it looks. Like... They they stayed over 500 until the end of July in 2005. Yeah, they were 51 and 51 on July the 29th, 2005, and that was as be, uh, as good as they got for the rest of the year. Now they were nine oh. games over on July the 15th. So I don't think we're at perfect symmetry territory yet because they were 49 and 40 after winning. Uh, in their 89th game in 2005, so they're a little—they're not quite in that. Uh, they're in a stretch territory. right now where they should be winning. I mean, they should have won more than one game against Cleveland, for, for example. Well, and, not looking like they did in the Cleveland series, they shouldn't have won more than one game. Well, that's true. They should have won more than no games in the Mets series. They—they're um, not—they don't have to face any AL East opponents. For a while. Still and July the 24th. We still had another three weeks of no real East. As any good Oriole fan who's uh, bemoaned the unbalanced schedule can tell you, the AL East teams are the ones that you need to uh, bear down against. But it, it looks a lot like they, they need to right the ship against these AL West and AL Central teams. Yeah. Or it, by the time July 24th rolls around, there's not going to be anything to, to defend. So let's they just need- very briefly, we're asking the question, should the Orioles continue to be buyers? No. We don't, we don't even need to talk about it. No. Just 
Well, I don't think they should have bought Jim Tomey. And I love Jim Tomey. I think it's so cool that he's here. I That was really cool, even though he didn't do anything. But it, it's it's hard to, to understand why they would buy up anything. So questions are being asked. For instance, Dan Duquette came on the Orioles Extra postgame uh, Saturday to talk about the Tomey thing. And he says that the Orioles will be looking at their internal options for improvement in the rotation, uh, which basically I think means Chris Tillman and Zach Britton, one or the other, if not both. And uh, well, I don't—I just have no idea what we're going to get out of those guys uh, this year. And in AAA, there, Chris Tillman is doing okay, although he's not really going six innings in in his AAA games, as we've talked about, and. Uh, Zach Britton has an ERA over five in his only five starts, so it seems like he maybe needs to work on but, things. But again, you don't need someone that is going to dominate. You don't need a number one starter. No. You just need somebody who can give you a solid five to six innings. Six innings, three runs, okay. maybe sometimes four right. runs. They don't even need to give you six. This We're looking for a fourth and a fifth starter now. Yeah. Five. Or, or maybe the Orioles can, can one-up the Rockies and go to a three-man rotation. Oh, boy. So <laughs> so that's probably what we're going to look at. And uh, I don't think they're going to keep starting Dana Eveland, I would hope. So no, probably, probably Thursday and Friday's game, somebody will be, will be uh, called up for them. So probably Steve Johnson's time will be short. But he can get options, so that's okay. And then I don't know what will happen the next day, but probably Chris Tillman and Zach Britton. So um, prepare yourself, and hopefully those guys are better than we've seen from, for instance, Tommy Hunter, five runs all earned Tommy Hunter, and Brian Mattis, who are really home run surrendering madmen. Tommy Hunter, you know, I, I remember at the very end of spring training, I said, like, you know, Tommy Hunter's not a good pitcher, but or this is what I meant to say. This may be more accurate. We should still give credit to the things he does do well. And then he came out and just laid a big fat egg. Tommy Hunter has given up 20 home runs in 81 innings pitched, which is approaching last year's Mattis-like levels of absurdity as far as the rate of home runs. It's, I mean, it's over two it's, home runs per nine innings pitched. Yeah. That's you cannot be successful when you're giving up that many home runs. That's the Tommy it's, Hunter it's experience. Possible. So, so why are the Orioles doing bad? Well, three fifths of their rotation is among the top five worst ERAs in the American League. That's it. That's why they're doing bad. One, the, the biggest reason why, because it's well. Um, so somebody on Twitter asked me about. The offense, and the offense has been miserable ever since the, the Mets series. Uh, so, you know, you can say the pitching's been horrible, and it has. They, they haven't given up even as few as six runs in a, in a while now. But, you know, what, what can you expect when you're regularly scoring? I'm looking at the, the baseball reference uh, scores and results. Three runs, two runs, one run, two runs, three runs, one run, two runs. Right, until the Orioles scored nine runs to beat the Indians on Friday, they had not scored more than three runs since June the 16th. So that was a significant stretch of games where they didn't score more than three. That's pretty bad. I mean, you're talking five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It was their 11th game after they beat the Braves 5 to nothing that they finally scored more than three runs again. Um, the question posed was, uh, without Nick Markakis, who has been sort of a, a remarkably steady fixture at, in the top middle of the lineup, is it really surprising that the Orioles have struggled without that production? Uh, Nick Markakis may be disappointing, but he's still... One of the Orioles' better hitters. He was a guy you could count on, even though he was kind of an enigma to us because he never lived up to his, right. his career year season. Or his contract. Not, not a guy on moving along the traditional aging curve progression by any stretch because he's supposed to be, you know, in his peak well, age 28 year right now. That's probably a 
as good an indication as any that those aging curves are for populations, not individual yes, players. That's every every player's That's a very good point. But I mean one one hole in the lineup, Nick Marcakis, shouldn't send the team into the tank the way that it is. And it turns out the Orioles kind of held on for what, two, two and a half, three weeks even after Nick Marcakis went on the disabled list before this offense really just um fell into the abyss. Well, yeah, it was about two weeks, it looks like. A little more, two and a half, yeah. He he went on the DL after the 29th of May. And uh, I'm just looking, you know, they had a series in Boston where they out they, they, well, they won the Red Sox two games to one, eight, six, two, one. And then they lost the finale, seven, nothing. But then in Philadelphia, or with the Phillies in town, they scored 16 runs. That seems pretty good. 17 runs. And then uh, they swept Pittsburgh. Pretty dominating. Yeah, so basically, if you look at the calendar, it was June 12th through 14th, and they scored at least seven runs in every one of the three games against Pittsburgh. And they scored a total of 27 runs in those three games. And since that June the 14th, they have only scored more than three runs three times. It's been a real struggle out there. So it, it doesn't really match up with uh, losing Marcakis. It actually looked like they were going to weather that storm for a while yeah. with uh, the Orioles saying, oh, Marcakis will be out like two or three weeks. They're playing okay. As far as good. events that they're closely connected, although not necessarily um, one led to the other, the person whose arrival or departure coincides with the offense being bad is actually Brian Roberts coming back. And it's 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 easy to say that because Roberts was a great story when he went three for four in his first uh, first game back, but he's not really looking like he's got his major league um, chops back yet. And that's true both at the plate and in the field. He's still after 17 games, does not have an extra base hit, which I think is far enough where you can start worrying a little bit because it means to me that whatever was in his skill set that allowed him to you know, hit doubles all over the field either hasn't caught back up to him yet or has you know, fled. Mm-hmm. Because on top of, again, on top of his concussion issues, he's 34 years old. So it could just be regardless of the fact that he missed a year, it was just his time, as as, uh, as Snoop would say on the wire. It was his time is all. And, I mean, that might be what we're looking at with Brian Roberts. And he's getting dutifully batted leadoff every game. And one thing I, we, we can say about him is he can still work a count pretty well. So there's small value as a leadoff hitter right there. But as far as getting on base, 246 on base percentage, uh, well, in fact, he went over today, so it's actually a 233 on base percentage as of Sunday evening. Pretty worrisome. And, yeah. you know, when nobody else is getting on base either, really, because the Orioles right. have a I, lot I, of stuff. It's not just one guy. A lot of. Thing. Right. It's, it's everybody who's not Wilson Benjamin. Nobody's hitting, unfortunately. Davis, big slump, although he's not in that massive over anymore. Weeders has gone down. A bit in the month. Well, really more like two months. Because I looked at I looked at Weeders and he was like a thousand OPS on May the sixth or something like that. And right now he's at like seven eighty. He was at, Which is a lot more reasonable. At the at the end of May he had sunk down to like a seven forty three OPS. So basically he really had a slump in May and he slightly rebounded through June, but um not enough that we were, you know, as excited about his performance this year as we were after April, where he had really been awesome. Well, and it's worth noting uh, with Brian Roberts and with everybody, uh, what he's done so far, which has been really, really bad, is not necessarily indicative of what he's going to do with his next 74 plate appearances. It's true. Um, it could. He, he's still... I mean, he's was a very, very talented guy uh, hitting the baseball and defending. And he's been through a lot of health problems and aging. You expect something to, to take a step down. But, you know, it's 
kind of hard for me to believe that he's this bad. It's sort of like with Andy Chavez. Andy Chavez, one of the worst players in baseball by uh, Fangraph's version of wins above replacement, right? Is that still true? Well, it might not be now since he's been on the disabled list for so long. Somebody might have um, passed him. But, you know, it's very, very difficult for me to accept that that's his true talent level. And that's really the thing that we're looking for with uh, statistics and and whatnot is the true talent level. Okay, so just if if we were curious... How good is Fangraph's wins above replacement? How bad is Andy Chavez? He's at a minus 1.2. Well, how bad is Brian Roberts by that? He's at negative 0.9. Yeah. Andy so Chavez is the third the third worst in all of baseball. And the two people worse than him are Sean Figgins on the Mariners, who has minus 1.4, and Brennan Bosch on the Tigers, minus 1.5. And... Figgins has played in 49 games, where Chavez has played in 32, and Bosch has played in 74 games. So, on a per-game Brian basis... Roberts played in 17 games. On a per-game basis... Actually, Roberts is probably the worst, because if we double his at the All same right. rate, he's he is the worst um, player right. in baseball. Oh, God, why yeah, do I have to say crap like that? No, but that's exactly my point. Like, come on, he's not the worst player in baseball. According he's to Fangraphs, wins of a replacement. Well, he's been. That's what he's been. So far, he That's has not been the interesting a not question. good player. What will he That's, be, I guess? Is he question. actually the worst player in baseball? Is he worse than Ryan Flaherty? Well, for example, he's getting played I mean, more faithfully not, than not, Ryan Flaherty. That's not a fair comparison, obviously. Is he is he worse than Robert Andino? Is he? Is he? I mean, would you rather have Robert Andino back out there at second than Brian Roberts? Probably not, because Andino hasn't looked that great there this year either. I mean, I, I don't have a definitive answer for you. Anybody who does is a fool, I guess. But, you know, the, the question is not how bad has Brian Roberts been. We know that. We know exactly how bad he's been. He's been really bad. It's, it's how bad is he? And I'm, you know, he, he looks like a mess. I'm not a scout. I don't even know how to be a scout. He, he still looks like a mess. But I I have to believe that there's still something there. You just have to feel like, I mean, and of course five minutes ago I was saying the exact opposite. But I mean, he has to just get his major league time. Oh, I'm very got to feel like, and I don't know how long that'll take. But and and the trick is to figure out like, well, how long is it going to take for him to get back into it versus. How long of a leash do we want to give him? At least the one thing we can say is it's not like he's really keeping anybody um, great off the field in the meantime, because who else is going to play second base if not him? Well, Ryan Flaherty, um, no. Or Robert Andino, who we all will love forever in Baltimore because of his part in the demise of the 2011 Red Sox. Unfortunately, is not continuing to look like uh, the curse of the Andino this year so i liked uh how our friend john shepherd put it out on his blog camden depot is uh, second base is sort of the nostalgia train for the orioles yeah with uh brian roberts coming back and robert andino folklore hero well should, should hopefully never have to buy a drink in baltimore for the rest right. of his life but and yet neither of these guys really look like uh, starting second baseman yeah. right now so. so so all of that is, is contributing, and really, Adam Jones still has done well, although he's not as blazing hot as he was earlier either. Nobody could ever be that hot. No. But, you know, he's uh, he's still got a 554 slugging percentage going into today. That would have gone, actually went up because he got a double today. He has a 556 slugging percentage after Sunday's action, 345 on base percentage, 302 batting average. Yeah, you know, that's still pretty awesome. Adam Jones. So it's Adam Jones and Wilson Betamete and uh, seven guys who are, well, well that's why the Orioles are not scoring more than three runs on a regular basis because, and, well. And then the, the defense is bad. The starting pitching has been bad. Because even, I mean, even okay, we had, we had Hamill and Chen who were good for a while. And if there's ever a stretch of games where Hamill and Chen both have, like, two bad starts in a row. Right now, 10-game losing streak. That's it. The end. 
I mean, unless like one or two of those games, somehow the offense wakes up, fluke, outslug the other team. It's just, it's kind of absurd right now. But that's being an Orioles fan. You're used to suffering. Yeah, I'm, I'm used to suffering. They made it look really easy, and they need to figure out a way to pick themselves off the mat. I guess um, the, the classic... There was always going to be this point in the season, and if they were going to be a competitive team, they were going to figure out a way to, to work through their slump. The classic saying, I guess, Andrew, is you're never as good as you look when you're doing right. well, and you're never as bad as you look when you're doing bad. So the question for the Orioles is, well... What if they really are as bad as they look now that they're doing bad? But probably they aren't, and I'm just panicking, uh, which is, you know, something you have probably observed, Andrew and the audience both, uh, that I tend to do. Get caught up in the moment a little bit. A little bit. That's why we love you. A little bit too much. Um, so, so I guess the question I should ask myself, I should ask you, and Andrew, maybe you can answer for me, is what, what would have to happen for the Orioles to start to turn things around versus what we've seen over the last two weeks? What, uh, what would we need to hypothetically see out of them for things to at least, you know, if not get back to the blazing hot 12 games over 500, just kind of stabilize, stop the bleeding? What, too many things to list. What would that world... Well, just, just pick three off the top of your head. What three would that things. Look like? yeah. They would need to find a better third baseman. Uh, they would need... Uh, Mark Kikis to come back and be productive right off the bat. And they would need everybody else to wake up with the bats. Uh, see, like, three things. I didn't even get to the pitching. Like, they would, they need better starting pitching. And I'm not really sure what... They need a fourth and a fifth start. I'm not really sure what Mark Kikis' current rehab plan is either, because I just have Googled an article from the Baltimore Sun that was dated June 18th, Marquecas hopes to swing Friday and return next week. Well, obviously that didn't happen. There was a Camden chatter who said Marquecas was throwing out in the outfield on Saturday's game, I believe, but I have no idea what that means as far as him hopefully rehabbing soon. Basically, my understanding of a hammock bone injury is you have the surgery and you have uh, stitches, I guess, for it, and you just have to wait for it to heal. And if you start too soon with your rehab, that will tear open. And so you just have to wait. And that's why saying, well, I made a joke earlier about a two to three week recovery is just absurd. Because and that's what they wait. were saying like right away. And I didn't understand. You just have that. to wait. Like, what did they think Nick Arcakis is Wolverine or something? And he's got the, got the <laughs> mutant regeneration power? I don't know. It was really weird from the beginning that the Orioles like came right away and were like, no, two to three weeks, we hope to have him back. When every other. Brokenham and Boone, it's like six to eight weeks. Just the- okay, so three things. The Orioles need to tighten up their defense at a variety of positions. They, they need to get better starting pitching. They need to figure out who their starting pitchers are going forward. And they need all of their bats to stop something. Three things. I did it. You did. You limited it to three. Now, as it happens, that's every aspect of the baseball. <laughs> <laughs> We've covered pitching, fielding, and hitting right there. Um, so that's that, I guess. But so the pitching, the rotation, it's going to depend on if Tillman and Britton can have some it, kind of. It doesn't feel effort. great to need to hang your whole season on. It's, on it those seems guys. like Tommy Hunter is actually going to stay in Norfolk for a little while this time, barring knock on wood, some kind of freak injury. Um, Mattis, I think. They have run out of patience with him for now, and he will also have to stew in AAA for a little while because we he see. has to. I mean, they have to get him right. Yeah. and they it, and it, it can't just can't just be like one good start and then suddenly he's back. They right. need to. It, it, it does him a huge disservice to just. Oh, you you had a really good seven inning start. Okay, you're back. Like now, he he has to stay down there and, and work through some stuff. Whatever that stuff is, I mean, I just. Right. I, I don't know. but so That's a question for uh, Dylan Bundy, coordinator of baseball services, Rick, or whatever. Rick Peterson's uh, pitching guru, whatever his official title is. Brian Mattis in the minors, and he needs to stay there. And Tillman and Britton, cross your fingers, maybe they'll do better. And, of course, my my guy, Jake Arrieta, one of these times, he's not going to have bad luck because he just gets – he really gets killed by the defense. And I guess he's going to keep getting killed by the defense because – as long as his defense continues to consist of right. Wilson Betamite in at third or first. 
Chris Davis in the outfield. Chris Davis in the outfield, although... Mark Reynolds at first. Mark Reynolds Brian anywhere. Roberts at yeah. second. And, it's, it's, uh, and it's, whoever it's, in left field, you know, it's bad. And then he makes his one mistake pitch, and suddenly a decent outing suddenly just looks terrible. And I don't know. He's I have the most hope for him, and maybe that's because I have, you know, orange-colored shades on when it comes to Jake Arrieta. But as far as, of, of all the pitchers, the three of them that struggled in the rotation, Arietta, Mattis, and Hunter... I feel like Jake this year has shown the most flashes of, well, he can be a major league pitcher once he you know, puts it all together, but maybe I'm just crazy. I don't know. So the Orioles need to get better in every phase of the game, and I guess that's our, and they will. That's our summation. They and will. they will, because they're, they're, because they're, they're not. not as bad as they have shown us, but when, when, I, when you're in the depths of that... It, un- it, unfortunately, they are... What, six games behind the Yankees? They are now six games behind the Yankees because the Yankees have basically, like, not lost um, ever. The Yankees have gone on their annual let's win every single game ever. Like, the Orioles went 5-5 and over a particular last 10-game stretch, and the Yankees were, like, 8-2 and over that same stretch. Or the Orioles might have been 6-4, and and the Yankees were 8-2. and The Orioles have a winning record and lose ground. It was pretty absurd. It's pretty unfortunate. But that's, you know, that's the deal with their satanic pact that somehow they haven't called in. Uh, they were 20-7 and seven in June, the Yankees. What is that? Win 20 games in one month. That's unbelievable. But the Yankees, and like I said, that's their satanic pact. Somehow, I'm sure George Steinbrenner is suffering because he made this deal when he was alive. But it's enduring now that he's, uh, he's possibly dead and burning in hell. Note. The proceeding was not intended as a factual statement. I cannot make any assertion as to George Steinbrenner's place in the afterlife, or indeed, whether there is an afterlife at all. Andrew, hit us with your final thought. About the- My final thought. Uh, as you are all no doubt aware, uh, the Orioles immortalized an immortal this weekend, Earl Weaver, given a statue out in the center field picnic area behind the bullpens. Uh he is the second statue to be unveiled after Frank Robinson. I was not there for the game in person, but I was there in spirit, quite literally. Uh, I put out a tweet that uh, reportedly got put up on the scoreboard. Multiple sources during- informed us that Andrew's tweet was on the scoreboard. I also was not there, but I assume all those people were not making that up. So that was pretty and. As anybody who is a frequent listener to this podcast or on Candid Chat or who knows me in real life uh, can attest, it was exactly as nerdy as you would expect it to be. It was not about Earl Weaver's managing or any on-field thing. It was about the book that Earl Weaver wrote, Weaver on Strategy, which uh, sources inform me deep within Camden chat that Mark Brown has still not read. Oh, I'm never going to hear the end of it. I, you know, I would like to it's funny. It. I will admit because... I have not gone out of my way to try to acquire it, but I did peruse the library, and it's nowhere in the Baltimore County Public Library system, and it's also not on the e-reader store that I use. It's, so. it's really weird. Um, my, my girlfriend was just telling me about this new thing. I'm going to get it wrong. I think it's called Amazon.com. Oh, I'm getting burned here. Look at this. <laughs> oh, boy. Apparently, you can just, I like, just order anything, and it'll got, just come to your door. I just got the full blast of the flamethrower. You don't even need to leave your mother's basement, Mark Brown. Oh, man. I just got torched right there. Anyway, the, the point is that uh, Earl Weaver... Uh, your book, sir, is uh, very important to me, and I'm, I'm glad you were an Oriole and, and could spread the good word, I guess. And uh, I'm, I'm going to cherish having your book on my bookshelf and also uh, looking up those YouTube videos of you screaming up that umpire. Earl and, uh, manager was another one of those things my dad just always told me about, and I wish I could have personally seen one of the Weaver tantrums. Like, I don't know, maybe I guess the one I would most like is if I was at that doubleheader when he got thrown out of both games. Yes. Because the second yes. game he got thrown out when he was exchanging the lineup cards. Because <laughs> he kept up the argument from the first game. That's that's my favorite, I think. And uh, I, I would have liked to see one of those for myself. 
I think I, I'm very sad. I, I did not get to witness any of that. I think every course. Orioles manager since Earl Weaver has felt like they have to live up to that tradition, and some do uh, to varying degrees. Like, well, really, going Sam Perlazzo on up until it was Buck, all those guys just had their own kind of dupe. Yeah, you know, it's not quite the same when Lee Mazzilli throws a uh, bucket of, of bubble. I was at that field. game, Andrew. I was all the way up in right field. We had no idea what he threw on there. We thought it was actually a cooler, and that it was like ice cubes. But then they never melted, so we were like, "What in the world?" Now you know, you uh, when I was uh, screwing around, pretending I was Jim Tomey, as if uh, mentioned my minor league exploits. I I got to see the Rochester Red Wings featuring former Oriole Pedro Florimon Jr. Uh, versus the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs featuring Kyle Hudson, former Oriole. Dueling leadoff hitters. Oh, and, boy. Yeah. In this game, the Red Wings catcher was ejected towards the end of it. And uh, the Red Wings, I, I assume it was the manager, came out to argue. And he went back into the dugout. And then another coach came out to continue arguing. Did the other coach he, also get ejected? No. The, apparently, the manager didn't even get ejected. Oh, man. So I have no idea what happened. And it's the minor leagues, so the reporting on it is... is Right, you, you would have less. to catch somebody who was there that knew. and maybe Yeah, I, I don't even know what, why the catcher got ejected. So. Well, all right, well, final thought. I'm not worthy of a final thought tonight. I have been shamed to my very core. I cannot even, uh, I cannot yeah, even relate uh, anything to Amazon, the Orioles. A-M- Look at this. He's he's rubbing salt in my wound as we speak. This this is very painful. No, see, do do you have a pen on you? Yeah. You can write. It down. I, th- I think I'll be okay. Okay. I think I will be able to handle it. So, that's all we've got for tonight. Our, well, if I have one tiny vague final thought, Orioles, please stop looking like you have the last. Jim Jam. You know, ten days. Yeah, Jim Tomey, mash some taters. That's another good one. Good pour to Baltimore. So, that's all we've got for tonight. I am Mark Brown. I'm here with Andrew Gibson. Don't know when we'll be back exactly. We may break our Monday publishing schedule next week. We'll see. But keep uh, keep listening for us. And by the way, you can follow Andrew on Twitter at GibsonAndrew. I am at EatMoreSK, E-S-S-K-A-Y, like the hot dogs. Occasionally, we're entertaining. T- taste the quality. Taste the difference quality makes. That's There right. you go. I can never get it right. Well, you, I, you got I can't get anything right, but that's that's life. So we're bringing you Camden Cass, and that's all we've got for tonight. This is Birdland, and we Jim are Jim. out. <laughs>